just to give you some heads up about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and Europe and even Israel, one of the things you have to understand about Putin is that uh, a lot of the political pundits want to say he's driven by oil and gas and he's driven by economics and politics and reclaiming Russian territory. That's all true, but that's not the main issue. The main issue with Putin is his crazy, whacked-out religion. And you're like, well, what are you talking about? Well, if you ever study uh, Putin, he's got this conglomerate of a lot of influences in his life, whether it's Alexander Dugin, uh, the Russian Orthodox Church, or parts of Christianity, and just some weird Russian myths that are involved in his religion. It's kind of like what you saw with Hitler. He had this made-up conglomerate of things. Anyway, the real issue for for Putin is... He believes, with the full backing of the Russian Orthodoxy, that uh, he's on a mission from God. He really does. He believes he's on a mission for God, and his mission is to uh, create an environment that can, that can produce Russia to be reborn again. And, and part of his understanding is that he must introduce chaos and Armageddon, so to speak, a Russian Armageddon, in order to get Russia reborn. Well, that tells you a lot about his thinking because he's like a jihadi in the sense that they think they're doing the will of Allah, and part of the will of the jihadis is to usher in the Maudi through chaos or Armageddon, and then the Maudi will come in Islamic religion, right, eschatology. In Russian eschatology, so to speak, his job is to usher in Armageddon so it can produce a Russian new state, a new Russia, they call it, or holy Russia. And when you start realizing that, you start realizing these political pundits who are dealing with Putin on simply an economic or political level don't understand who they're dealing with they will not take into account what's really driving Putin in all of this. And where does this end? I'll tell you where it ends. It ends on Israel's uh, mountains. That's where it goes. Because once he's done with this, he's not going to stop. If we're living in the last days, and and this is Gog, G-O-G, of Magog, he will eventually turn his sights on Israel. Now, when they invaded Ukraine, he already gave a warning out and said this, hey, look, just put this out as a reminder, Israel. Those Golan Heights don't belong to you. One of his cabinet members said that when they were invading Ukraine. Why would he do that? And then at the same time, you don't see much of uh, Israel's pushback on Russia. They have come out and said, we're, you know, we're against this, yada, yada. But initially you didn't. And people were saying, well, what's, why is Israel not pushing against this? Well, the issue has to do that... Israel is allowed to fly into Syria because of Russian permission. And, and Israel is allowed to fly there to take out proxy groups that are funded and backed by Iran. And so Russia allows them to do that in Syrian airspace. So Israel's not going to get too much up against Russia because of that very thing. Then yesterday on Shabbat, even uh, Bennett sit, uh, went to Moscow and met with Putin, uh, Putin for uh, two hours. Again, we don't know what they discussed, 
But there's a whole thing going on there with Israel and, and, and Putin, Russia, and airspace. And then at the same time, let's shift to America. What I'll show you today is uh, America is trying to revive this Iranian nuclear deal that Obama put out. And Moscow is helping us broker the deal. Now let's move to Ukraine. In Ukraine, we, we, we support the Ukrainian people. We support what's happening to them and, and pray for them. But their leadership, that guy who's in charge of Ukraine, he's backed up fully by the globalists. He was trained by Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum. The guy is a globalist, and he gets the full backing of the globalists. BLM is supporting him, the Antifa movements. All these other leftist organizations, have you found that they're all supporting him? There's a reason for that. He's one of them. Now, again, you got to separate him from the Ukrainian people, right? But I want you to say, this is how confusing it is becoming out there in the world. No one's supporting Putin, but you better be careful about supporting the leader of the Ukraine because he's got the full backing of George Soros and the other globalists. Support the Ukrainian people, obviously. They're, they're the fodder in all of what these people are doing. But please understand this. Once he's done with this area, he, Putin is not going to stop. Putin, though, is the one remaining person and nation standing in the way of globalism. Okay? These globalists want Putin defeated so they can usher in global governance. Putin is against globalism. He's against internationalism, believe it or not. And so they know they got a problem with him. So but here's what's going to happen. They're not going to do anything to him. If he is Gog, and maybe he is, maybe he's not, uh, he will eventually attack Israel, and God will take Putin out. God will be the one who takes Gog of Magog out on the mountains of Israel. But I'm telling you this. Once Russia and, uh, and that whole invasion is taken out, global governments will come into effect at that point. There's nothing standing in the way. Don't think America's standing in the way. We're already gone. Our, our government is already for globalism and is, going, and is pushing it. So America's taken out of the way. The only country now is Putin and Russia. That's it. Once they take him out, globalism will come in. Now, how do we know this? Because of prophecy. You and I can connect dots other than the talking heads on TV because we know where it goes. So they're not going to stop him. They're not going to be able to do anything. So we'll see how this plays out, but it's just something to keep on our radar, and it tells you how close we are. We're that close. It's crazy, huh? Anyway, what does that mean for the implications for us? Well, this is what we're going to study in Daniel chapter 3. The implications for us is this. We can be delivered right now in the rapture and not see anything happen. We also can see a delay in the rapture. Not that it was on purpose delay, but delayed in our, as far as our timetable. And the fact that the, the rapture could happen later on, and we can see a lot more. We can experience a lot more. 
Are you experiencing the pinch on the gas prices and the food prices? That's not going to end. We're so crazy in America that we shut down being energy independent to take oil from other people. You know that I think 4 to 6% of our oil, or maybe even 7% comes from Russia. Why are we doing that when we can make our own oil here? Why do we have to depend on Saudi Arabia? Why do we have to depend on the Middle East when we can make our own oil here? Because you know why? Because they're saving the planet through the eco-friendly movement and Biden's thinking that's the way to go. And so we have now become dependent on other people for energy. While the Sierra Club controls our energy. And, you're, and I'm telling you, your gas prices will not go lower unless we start drilling here. So it's, 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 it's affecting us, guys. That's what I'm trying to say. And so what we're going to have to realize is, okay, yeah, we can pray for deliverance and we want the rapture. But we have to then accept what God is doing and not protest against it, not get, get resist it, because it's going to happen. So what we're going to see is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going through what they went through, and I want, they're a great example for us of what we're going through right now. So let's jump in this story, and we'll take you back uh, just to give you a brief understanding. We've studied how Nebuchadnezzar got everybody to conform to this, and basically, he set up a statue of himself that everyone worship it. And of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not do it, right? And they refuse to do it. We talked about narcissism in Nebuchadnezzar, and we, we, we explored that. Now we're going to explore what the boys do in reaction to this and what happens to them, okay? So, verse 16, we'll pick up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now, we talked about this phrase. What they were saying basically is we're not going to answer you. There's no point of even talking to you about it or trying to convince you of our side. And we talked about that as that's, that's how you deal with a narcissist. The narcissist won't listen to you, and you give them information, and they don't do anything with it. But there's another thing that they're doing. They're putting Nebuchadnezzar on notice that Nebuchadnezzar... You might think you're an authoritarian that controls everything, but you don't control us. You will not take our personal responsibilities and rights from us because you don't control us. We don't bow down. And here's the thing. At some point, you and I have to put these authorities on notice. You don't control me. You might want a vaccine mandate, but I'm not doing it. You don't control me. You go into the supermarket and you have a masked Nazi at the counter telling you to put your mask on. Sorry, I don't do that. At some point, you have to put the authorities on notice. You've got to let them know you're not in control of me. Because these authorities want to rule your life, don't they? These authorities want to tell you what to do, what you can think even. They're the thought police. But there comes a time at some point, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, no more. You don't have control of me. I'll die before you control me. And you have to start getting this kind of attitude right now in the world we're living in because they want you to go with them. Well, compromise here. No, no, don't do that. When you stand against authority that's being improperly used, you're telling them your authority doesn't derive from you. It derives from God. Remember what Jesus did with Pilate? Remember what he told Pilate? You would have no authority over me had it not been given to you from above. 
He put Pilate on notice. You're not ultimate. God is. And that's what your resistance to a lot of the stuff that's coming down is going to have to be. Look at, like, for instance, for this. The schools are still enforcing mask mandates despite Newsom lifting this what, uh, in a couple weeks or so. So, like, there's been counties, school boards in other counties, like in Sacramento, that said, yeah, even though he's going to lift the mask mandate, we're still going to require the kids to be masked. Because why, they said, why are you going to continue? Well, we have 94% or 96% of our kids vaccinated, and we have 4% that are not vaccinated, so we're going to keep the mask on for the 4% that are not vaccinated. Are you out of your mind? You get 96% of your student population vaccinated, and you're worried about the 4%. Yeah, they're out of their mind. I hope parents say no more. But you know what's happening in Kern County? Let me tell you what's happening in the local schools. The local schools, the high schools, at least for this point, I don't know about the elementary, the high school teachers are becoming public enemy number one to your children. You know what the teachers are now saying? Well, um, yeah, we understand uh, Farrell Newsom is lifting the mask mandate, but can we still enforce it in our classrooms? The governor lifted the mandate, and you still want to enforce it. You see the problem here? The teachers are becoming enemy number one to your kids. No, I'm not saying there's not good teachers. There are good teachers. They're good Christian teachers. But the majority of them are leftists. And they want to enforce wearing masks when the government even lifts it. Are you out of your mind? Yeah, that's the people educating our kids now. That's how bad it is. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Now, what they're trying to say is this. Look, we trust in God's power to deliver us. Whether he delivers delivers us from the fiery furnace or he delivers us in death, we win. It's a win-win situation. Go ahead and kill us. Then we're delivered from you. Or he will deliver us from the fiery furnace. But the issue then is they're putting their trust in the power and protection of God and his providence. That's the key. The key to understanding how to deal with the environment is this. Yes, God can deliver us from all this. We can be raptured tonight. But what if he wants us to go through it? What if he wants us to see things get a little rough here before he does rapture us? Then you have to accept it either way. That's the idea. Now, here's the thing about this. In order to have the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the reason they can stand on their ground and not be afraid is because they're standing on the word of God, which gives them the strength to stand and gives them the courage. When you stand on truth, when you stand on facts and evidence, you can boldly stand in front of somebody and, 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 and not be a coward, not run in shame and hide. You can confront it like them. That's where courage comes from. And this, that's what we start are having to need in the times that we're in. It will take more courage from you. You will have to have your facts and evidence lined up in order to face this when they start requiring a vaccine of everybody one, a, once, one time a year. You're going to have to be like this lady in Ukraine. This lady in Ukraine, I'm going to show you, she's got guts. But where does she get her guts? Because she's standing on the truth. 
You have a foreign enemy invading her land. She's in the right, he's in the wrong. But, but being in the right, look at what it does to her guts. Я вас услышала. Не будем усугублять А куда уже усугублять? Вы, вы пришли, блядь, непрошенные твари. Now, God bless her. That takes some guts, right? She's facing a Russian soldier, and she's calling him out into his face. Now, here's the thing. I don't know Ukrainian. I don't know Russian. I don't know if I bleeped out the right words. Okay? I took a guess. So if someone knows that language and I didn't bleep out the right words, then my apologies. But I tried to bleep out as much as I thought it could. But what is the point? This lady is standing on the truth, and she's facing her evil people that are invading her country. She has every right. But notice the boldness that she has. It's because she's standing on the truth. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's you and I, what we have to do. Now, first of all, they trusted in God's providential control. God... When we talk about God being in control, we talk about his providential control. They understand that their situation is under the hand of God. He knows what he's doing, and they accepted how much he would allow. That's where their faith is, how much he would allow. It's not faith just simply to be delivered. It's faith to say, well, he may not deliver us. Second, they trusted God's character and, and will for their deliverance outcome. Now, trust is not just simply trusting in the power of God. He has the power to deliver us, no doubt about it. But trust centers on the character of God, the nature of God. They know he's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He know, they know he's a just God. So they're resigning their, their faith to him that if they get thrown in the furnace, that according to his nature, they're willing to accept that. I know that's a tough thing, that God would allow you to go through your own fiery furnace based on his character. Why would God want to cause you pain? Pain that God causes is redemptive pain. It's not pain that harms you. It's redemptive And they're willing to say, if he wants to cause me pain, I know it's for my good. Oh, that's a different ballgame, isn't it? But if not, that's the key phrase in the whole text. If not, that's an incredible amount of faith. They're not joy boys thinking, well, God's going to deliver me from this awful time, and that's, it's all going to be good. No, but if not... He can deliver us, but if not, 
Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor we will worship the gold image which you have set up. Is that part of your vocabulary? But if not, we can be raptured tonight. But if not, we might have to go through several years of seeing the setup of the tribulation, and then we're raptured. Right? But if not, I like what Adrian Rogers said, Prince of Preachers. Had a phenomenal saying here. He goes, does our faith have an if not clause in it? It is one thing to have faith to escape. It's another thing to have faith to endure. It's one thing to be sick and have faith to be healed. It's another thing to be sick and not be healed and still praise God. That takes greater faith, obviously. Faith is not primarily receiving from God what you want. It is accepting from God what he gives. Whoa. That's hardcore, man. Can you accept what he gives? What do you mean, Brandon? What if your gas prices continue to escalate? What if your food prices continue to escalate? What if the inflation continues to escalate? What if you get fired from your job because you won't comply with a transgender agenda? What happens then? What if he doesn't deliver you from the gas prices? What if he doesn't deliver you from losing your job? You better have an if not clause in you. He can, can God deliver you? Of course he can. But if not, I will still trust. You've got to have that part in you. But if not, the key to their response, I want you to think about this. How, what balances them out? Number one, they knew their environment the context in which they lived. They knew they're in Babylon. They're, they're not in paradise. They realize what's gonna come upon them. It's just like with us. Do you know your environment? Of course you do. You know what these people are doing. You know how evil it is, don't you? You know your environment. And that evil environment is coming to your front door. You will be tested in this environment. Do not be like other Christians pretending that we're all gonna go back to normal and things are gonna be hunky-dory and we're gonna get our lives back. We have crossed lines now that we don't come back. You have to accept the new normal, if, that, if you even want to call it normal. They'd already passed smaller tests in their life. Remember, they wouldn't eat the food of the king's table. Remember that? Because it was non-kosher. So what's that about? Well, it's, the issue is if you can pass small tests, that trains you to pass bigger tests. So the problem is if you compromise on a little, you'll compromise on the bigger. It starts with a small thing. Are you giving in? Are you compromised with what they want you to do? Well, you know, I, I want to fly, Brandon, and I want to go, you know, on vacation, and, and, and I want to keep my job and this and that, and so that's why I, I went ahead and got the vaccine. Really, that wasn't the right reason. And I talked to Dr. Mensink about it. We're having a lot of people now going to him asking, what does he do? Because they have regrets, and they're having issues with the vaccine. Major, major problems in a lot of people, and they have these vaccine regrets. And then when they're asked, why did you do it? It has to do with like travel or it wasn't anything medical. And sometimes it was fear. Now, it's not to condemn anybody, but I want to say, if you don't pass smaller tests in your life, you'll fail the bigger tests. You've got to do well on the smaller ones. They did. They knew what had eventually come their way. They knew, they knew the idolatry is going to come at them at some point in time. They're going to have to deal with it. 
See, the problem that you and I have is a normalcy bias. A normalcy bias that, that all humans have is it's not as bad as Brandon's making it out to be. Brandon's a nut job. He's using hyperbole. He's a fear monger. It's not that bad. And that's how they face the world, really. They're in denial of reality. And that's called a normalcy bias. And the normalcy bias will create in them, well, if we just do this and that, we will get our lives back and we'll go back to normal. That's called a normalcy bias. The boys never had it, and no sh- no, nor should you have that normalcy bias. You must prepare and adapt to the environment that God is bringing before you. That's how you're going to be able to fight, is to accept reality. Now, here's the thing. Here's part of the environment that we're in. As I talked about earlier, about what's going on in Russia, what's going on in the Ukraine, what's going on in Israel, at the same time in our environment, what to expect, Brandon, what should we expect? At the same time, due to Russia's invasion, Emmanuel Macron is now taking the lead, and by March 10th, wants a meeting to discuss the creation of a European army and himself as the leader. This European army would act independently of the U.S., of course, because we're, we're out to lunch eating ice cream, and NATO. Huh. Just let that one sit for a while. Now let me add this. This is Macron at the Wailing Wall. I am concerned about the United Nations resolution on Jerusalem, which continues to deliberately and against all evidence remove Jewish terminology from the Temple Mount. Am I hearing what I'm hearing out of the mouth of this guy? He's going against the UN who hates Israel, but he loves them. Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the Jewish people. What? The French president is saying that? Erasing Jerusalem's Jewishness is unacceptable. It is not by affirming such untruths that associations that claim to pursue an objective of peace can claim to fulfill their vocation. He's talking about the Muslims. How dare we talk about an apartheid uh, in a state where Arab citizens are represented by the, in the government, in parliament, in leadership positions, and in positions of responsibility? He sounds like he's on Israel's side, going against the UN, going against the Islamic regimes in that world. He sounds like he's for Israel, doesn't he? I'm not saying he is, but I'm seeing Antichrist-esque behavior. I'm going to form my own army, and I love Israel. I'm going to protect her from the UN, protect her from the Islamic countries. These are the signs of the times. At the same time that's happening, look what we're in bed with. Top U.S. and Russian officials for Iran have met in Vienna. A Russian envoy said on Wednesday, this is last Wednesday, okay, delegates on both sides uh, said Moscow and Washington were coordinating in a bid to salvage a 2015 Iranian nuclear deal. Thank you very much. We're arming Iran, helping them out, and Moscow is helping us broker the deal. It can't get any worse, can it? You understand what, why I'm showing you this? It's to show you the season that you're in, the times. I, when you look out, who do you trust? I'm not trusting Macron. I'm not trusting Putin. I'm not trusting uh, the, the president of Ukraine. I don't trust him. 
I don't trust. I, who, what, what, do you trust your own government? I don't. Oh, that's what the end times would look like. Chaos out there and no one to trust other than Jesus. Got it. Got it. So they knew right and wrong. Oh, oh uh, yeah, they're real. We knew, they knew right and wrong. They had a moral anchor. They knew that idolatry is wrong, so they already made their decision. We're not going to do it because it's a violation of Scripture. Here's the thing that you and I have to do. The things we're going to face, you already have to make a decision right now for it. You have to have this inside of you to take the outward pressure. The outward pressure is going to come on you, and the ones that are caved because they don't have anything internal in them. So that's why when you see Christians fail and compromise, it's because there's evidencing that there's nothing inside what are you going to do? What are you going to do when they're at your job saying, "Look, man, you got to be on board on this transgender movement, man." What are you going to do? Are you got to be on board on this vaccine once a year of COVID nineteen? You got to be on board. You got to take it. Are you otherwise you can't work here? What are you going to do? You better make that decision now. Where are you going to stand based on biblical principles? Because the outward pressure—if you don't have anything inside you—you you will buckle under the outward pressure. Build up inside of you what biblical principles you're going to live by. Romans 12 says this to all of us, and, saying that, and this is what the boys illustrate. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is what's reasonable for any Christian, that you give up your life for God. Whatever that thing is, whether that's a physical life or giving up your economy, giving up your job, giving up whatever, the luxuries of life, you have to give those up. And the principle is this. If you become a living sacrifice for the Lord, you must trust him because there is no guarantee of safety when you do that. You put yourself on the altar it's possible you could be sacrificed, that you're going to shed blood, that you're going to give up stuff. See, C.S. Lewis caught this in one of his books uh, in the Narnia Tales. And in one of his books, Aslan, the, the Christ-like figure, is walking away from Mr. Tumnus and Lucy. And Mr. Tumnus says, uh, you mustn't hold on to him. You know he's not a tamed lion. And Lucy comes back and says, no, but he's good. When C.S. Lewis wrote that, he was referring to this. Do not think for a moment that Christ will exclude you from all issues in this life. He is good, but the safety may not be there that you think is going to be there. It's unbiblical to think you're going to go through life without any scars. It's unbiblical to think like that. You could bear them if he so wants you to. Please understand that because I'm telling you, your lifestyle is going to change. The longer we're here, our lifestyle is going to change. You're going to get pinched economically for what they're doing because we're living in the last days. And so you have to have this mentality like Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I brought nothing into the world and I will take nothing out. Remember that? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Either way, I, am, uh, I will bless the Lord if he gives me or if he takes away. That's the situation we're facing if we are not delivered by the rapture anytime soon. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. These guys go just ballistic because they won't conform. This is what happens to people who are authoritarian and you don't obey. That's why you have masked Nazis in the stores. This is why you have a masked Nazi in Costco right across the street. This is why you have masked Nazis in schools and teachers wanting those masks on those kids. Give me an N95 mask. Put those masks on, kids. You're spreading your diseases. They get mad. They get angry that you don't conform. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They end up being like this guy, Trudeau. All the truckers wouldn't comply. So he goes into a rage, and you can see it on his face. And for the first time in Canadian history, he puts out the Emergency Act, which is nothing but martial law, and saying all these truckers are, you know, racist, bigots, they're disrupting our society, and they're insurrectionists. That's what happens to people, little dictators, that people, don't, when they don't comply, that's how they act. That's how your boss will act when you say no to him or her. They will get mad at you because, oh, you're not bending to our, our wishes, are you? So he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Now let's unpack this just a little bit. The guy has lost his mind. His mind. He is so enraged that he's become uh, a non-thinking individual. What do you mean? Well, the fact that he heated up the furnace seven times over to make it even hotter, actually is an act of mercy if he's going to throw somebody in, in fire. Because the hotter it is, the instantaneous death that will occur. If you wanted to torture somebody, not saying that any of us are going to torture anybody, but if you want to torture somebody, you lower the heat. He does the exact opposite. So you wanted someone to torture, you lower the heat and let them burn slowly. But he heats it up thinking, oh, I, I, want, it, I, I want it so hot it'll, it'll, it'll uh, torture them more. No, it's not. It's going to cause instantaneous death. He doesn't even get it. He's out of his mind at this point. He's so enraged. And then look what he has to do. He called the mighty men of valor. He called the Navy SEALs. He calls the, the uh, uh, Green Beret Division to take the boys. There are only 20, and there's only three of them, but we're going to call the Navy SEALs to put them in the furnace. Why? I guess they're an existential threat to the kingdom. Do you see what's happening? He makes the issue bigger than what it is. That's what they do in Washington. They make it an existential threat. Oh, we've got to save the planet. It's an existential threat. We've got to save the polar bears. They make it, that they, they juice it up, right? That's what they're doing here. That's what he's doing. Notice that, they, uh, that then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of burning fiery furnace. So wait a second. Typically, if you're going to torture somebody, you're going to execute them. What they did during this period of time and through the Middle Ages is you strip them naked. You take off all their clothes. When Jesus was put on the cross, what did they do? They stripped them naked, didn't they? That's what the Romans did. That's what the Babylonians. They would strip you of your clothes. But they're so, uh, so much of an existential threat to the kingdom. No, no, we've got to get the, the best men on them, just wrap them up in their clothes and bind them, and then we just got to throw them in. What's the rush, man? 
What's the rush? I can tell you why. Because when you give your enemies more time, they come up with other solutions to bypass the issue. So when Nancy Pelosi says, we got to pass the bill to see what's in it, remember that? What's the rush? Oh, because she doesn't want people reading it so they can counteract what they're doing. He doesn't want anyone counteracting what he's doing or figuring things out and saying, whoa, time out, time out, you're not doing the right thing. He just wants to do it and get it passed or get it done so there's no opposition. That's why politicians work sometimes on a Friday night to pass bills. Because they know you're not going to see anything Friday night. And by Monday morning, you wake up and a bill has been passed. It's the same thing. You never, you, you, nothing ever changes with these guys, right? But notice the word bound. That's your key phrase in the whole passage to understand everything that's going on here. Why are they such an existential threat that they have to be bound in, in these ropes and their feet and hand tied and then thrown in? What, what are the mighty men of, of uh, valor worried about? I mean, you're sending the Navy SEALs. Why do you have to bind them? What are you worried about? The key in understanding this passage is understanding the, the, the binding. And I'll come to that in just a bit. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So all the Navy, the Navy SEALs and the Green Berets are killed in the process of trying to kill these guys. It's insane. This is how stupid he has become. He killed his own guys in trying to kill them. And the three, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound, bound into the midst of the burning furnace. They got them at the edge, and the guys died while they are throwing them in. And they just rolled right in, apparently. It's insane. But it's a typology, and I want to show you this. As I've mentioned before, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego represent Israel. They represent Israel as far as going through the, the Babylonian exile going through the furnace of the exile, but they also represent in the future Israel going through the tribulation. How many times did they heat that thing up? Seven times. How many years is the tribulation? Seven years. The tribulation is known as a judgment of fire with all the, the judgments God gives to the earth. It's a judgment by fire. The first judgment uh, on the earth was water, right? The second judgment will be by fire, the judgments of God. Okay, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego represent going in there. But notice, before they went into the furnace of the tribulation, they were what? Bound. By Gibberim. What do you mean? Mighty men of valor. Now, it's not using Hebrew, it's using Aramaic. But when you go to the Hebrew in other passages, Gibberim is used for Nimrod. It is also used for Goliath. Nimrod and even Goliath are a typology of the Antichrist. So who binds Israel in the furnace or before throwing them in the furnace? An Antichrist type of figure, a Gibberim. So, ah, we now have a clue now. The binding is pointing to the covenant of Israel being bound in covenant with the ultimate Gibberim, 
the Antichrist. They will be bound in this covenant of death, the agreement of Sheol, according to Isaiah. They will be bound in it. But notice what happens to the Gibberim once they try to exterminate Israel into the fire. They die. Did you catch that? When Antichrist turns on Israel at the midpoint of the tribulation, he'll be their friend for the first three and a half years, but when he turns on them, he turns on them to annihilate them completely off the face of the planet. But in trying to destroy them, he will be destroyed by the Messiah in the battle of Armageddon that saves Israel from the fiery furnace. Watch now who enters into the flames. Well, let me, let me talk about this. Existential threat. So now we're fighting World War E rather than World War III. That's what Biden talked about, right? This is how goofy they are, right? This is how off the base they are. Biden also said he wants to transgender youth to reject God's design in order to reach their God-given potential. Excuse me? What? Yeah, he said this, and for our LGBT2 uh, plus Americans, let us finally get to the Bipartisan Equality Act to my desk. The Equality Act will destroy the church, by the way. It will completely destroy the church. The onslaught of state laws targeting transgender Americans and their families is wrong. Do you guys know of any onslaught of any state laws targeting transgender Americans and their families? I know of none. What is he talking about, an onslaught? I will always have your back as your president so you can be yourself and reach your God-given potential. Telling transgenders this. Now, what I'm trying to show you is this, through these examples. This is when you become Nebuchadnezzar and you're not thinking straight. And you're fighting the wrong war. Nebuchadnezzar thinks the war is with these three boys. That's why he's tying them bound hand and foot and throwing them into a fire. They're the problem. They're the existential threat. Eventually, you and I will be the existential threat, by the way. That's where it's going. Because we oppose transgenderism, but they're supporting it. Anyway, then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Ah, they answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose. Notice the word loose. Not bound, but loose. Walking in the midst of the fire. Walking because their feet are not bound. They're walking. is sh- showing that they have freedom now. They're not bound. And they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So guess who went in there to rescue them? It's Jesus. This is what we call a theophany or a Christophany, an appearance of Messiah before his incarnation. He would appear many times in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord or the captain of the Lord's army. And in this case, he appears in a pre-incarnate form of the Messiah to rescue Israel, to rescue the boys out of, out of the fire. The same will occur at the Battle of Armageddon. Messiah returns to rescue Israel from the fire of being destroyed. And so he enters into the midst of that fire. Again, keep your mind 
on now that they are loose from their bounds, binds. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out and come here. Servants of the Most High, he's now willing to call Yahweh El Elyon, the Most High God. He's putting them up there. This is part of his pre-conversion. By chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar will convert. You will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day. So it's starting to work on him. Even though he's crazy and out of his mind, he's seeing the witness of the boys, and it's working on his heart. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. The satraps, the administrators, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. Why is that important? Because these are witnesses, and they are witnessing to these unbelievers what God can do. They saw these men whose bodies, the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And the smell of fire was not on them. So now the, the existential threat of wrapping them in their clothes and not stripping them is now further proof of the evidence of God's deliverance in its totality. That God can not only deliver their bodies, but he, can, he can deliver even the clothes they were wearing. And they don't even have the smell of smoke on them. Nothing touched them. It's evidence. But what burned? What burned on them? The binds. The only thing that burned on the boys was the binds of rope that was tying them hand and feet. I wonder why. It was the only thing that man put on them, didn't it? That restricted their freedom, that restricted their rights, that restricted them from moving. Huh. Hold on to that. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. So Nebuchadnezzar's coming, and he's going to make an edict for everybody in Babylon. This is the witness of what, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. You see the power and the impact of standing for God, what it does to people. They cannot deny you when you do that. They may not like you, but they at least can respect you. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, language, which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, and he means business. I'll tear you to limb from limb, and their houses shall be made an ash heap. Really, it's an outhouse. Anyone that speaks against them. You see how the fortunes are reversed now? Because there are no other gods who can deliver like this. Oh, now Nebuchadnezzar's learning. There's no God that can interpret dreams like Yahweh, and there's no other God that can deliver like Yahweh. It's building up to his conversion. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So now, because of them standing tall, they're rewarded by God. So for instance, there's been plenty of people in our church that lost their job because they took a stand for the Lord, and they said, I will not put anything in my body. I'm not going to wear your dumb mask. And so fire me. And they got fired. And you know what happened? They went through the fire of the furnace. They got fired. That was the furnace for them, okay? But what came out of it? Just like you're seeing with them, what came out of it? Like a week later, God offered another job to them in another place making more money. But that wouldn't have happened had they not went through the fire and stood their ground and said, I'm not doing this. 
you, once you go through the fire, then you're rewarded after the fire. That's how it works. Oh, okay. Now application. Remember the binding and loosing. I want to keep that in mind. That's part of our application. It's the big thrust of this. You and I, were individually going to go through furnaces. We're going to go through a big furnace together in the last days. We're all going to be in this, okay? We're all going to be in the furnace with each other, okay? We're all going to have these trials. God allows these things. But remember, your job is not to try to escape the furnace. Your job is not to run from the furnace and seek comfort away from it. Your job is to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, God can deliver me, but if he doesn't, so be it. I'll go through the furnace because I know he will be in there with me. So don't let them put a price on you not to go on the furn- in the furnace. All Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to do is just pre- even pretend the bow. They wouldn't even do that. It's only going to take one second. Come on, just go with it, and then you get your rest of your life back. You could, you just, you could, you could just fake it. They wouldn't even do that, because the minute you do that, you, you, you're going to compromise, and you're compromising to escape the furnace. But what's important about the furnace? Why is the, going through the furnace so important? Well, Oswald Chambers made this statement. He goes, the fiery furnaces are there by God's direct permission. It is misleading to imagine that we are developed in spite of our circumstances. You're never going to become like Christ out of the furnace. You're not. It just doesn't work that way. We are developed because of them. The furnaces make you more like Christ. It is the mastery in the circumstances that is needed, not mastery over them or apart from them. He's nailed it. If we're to be more like Christ and be conformed to his image, don't run from the furnace. Don't even ask, well, uh, you know, I I wish I could avoid this. I wish I could find a safe space in, in, in my world where I don't have to go through this. No, that's the wrong attitude. Why? So we now know that the furnaces are there for you, but what do they do? What do these furnaces do? Because they cause pain in me. If we react biblically, not protesting, not trying to avoid the furnaces, but are you willing to accept the furnace in front of you? It can help free you from the bonds that enslave you. Remember, I told you I'd come back to that. They're bound in the fire and being put into the fire. The only things that burn are the binds. Therefore, here's the application. The only way you and I are going to get rid of our baggage that we bring into this relationship with Christ is to allow the fiery furnace to burn the enslavement, the bonds that we're in to our old life. And once the fiery furnace, that flame touches those things, you are then set free and you will be able to move about and walk about freely in the flame with Jesus as you are set free by the fire in the furnace. It's the only way. It's the only way you're going to get free of issues. It's the only way you're going to get free of sin is to let the fire touch it. What does that mean? You have to go through the furnace. 
There's no other way. And once you let that fire touch you, it sets you free. It's the fire of judgment, right? It's the fire of cleansing. Fire cleanses. It purifies us, isn't it? It takes away the dross in our lives. That's what the point is. That, and what, was, what does the fire do to Israel in the end times? It's, God says it removes the impurities out of Israel. In other words, it removes all unbelief out of Israel when they go through the, the fire of the tribulation. There will be never again any Jew after the tribulation that, that never believes in God. From that point on, every Jew that lives in the millennium will always believe. There will never be any Jew that doesn't. That's what that fire of the tribulation causes. If you let the fire touch you, the same thing will happen to you. Leon Wood said this way, how much better it was to go through the fire with the Lord than to have missed the fire and not enjoyed the Lord's presence. It's in the fire that you get to know Jesus better. You're not gonna know him out of the furnace. You'll know of him, but you won't really know him intimately. You, you go in that fire and he's there in your midst. He's walking with you in the fire. What's the safest place to be? With Jesus in the fire. With the disciples, when the storm hit the sea and they're on the boat, and Jesus is walking on water. What was the safest place to be? On the boat? No, it's to be out there with Jesus in the storm, walking on water. You're only gonna walk on water if you're out, out of the boat. You're only gonna get these issues resolved if you're in the furnace. Isaiah 43 promises not only this to Israel, promises us. But now thus says the Lord who created uh, you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Again, the context is dealing with Israel, but there's principles that apply to us. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Has God redeemed us? Yes. I have called you by my name. You are mine. It's true of Israel. It's true of the church. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor shall the flame scorch you. What is he saying? You might be hurt, but I'll never harm you. You can trust me going through the fire. There is a difference between hurting and harm. There's redemptive hurt pain, and that pain is redemptive. But God says, even if you go through that, I will never harm you, which means it won't hurt your spiritual life. It will actually perfect it. That's the promise we have. So I'll end on this question. We all have to answer this individually. They did not burn, they did not, uh, or sorry, they did not bow, they did not bend, they did not burn. But here's the question. Does our acceptance of our furnaces give other believers courage for their furnaces? The whole point of putting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace was not simply for the boys, it was for all of Israel. It was for Israel during that time, and it's for Israel in the future. Israel, when they're in the tribulation, will remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if they can do it, we can do it with the Antichrist. That's, the, that's what it was for. And the same thing is for you and I. Are you handling your furnaces so well that actually gives courage to other believers to face their furnace? Or are you running from it? Are you scared? Are you in the corner sucking your thumb, hoping for the rapture? trying to avoid pain. That's wrong. It doesn't encourage faith when you do that. Yes, we can be, be raptured right now, 
But if not, but if not, I will face my furnace with courage. And that's contagious. That's contagious to other believers. And look what it did to to Nebuchadnezzar, an unbeliever. It was contagious to him. And he's like, oh man, El Elyon has delivered you. And it will lead to his conversion. Don't forsake furnaces. They're there for a reason. Go through the fire and Jesus will be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from the boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Totally inspiring. Their faith is incredible. We pray we can have that kind of faith to, play, to, to be able to be placed in this, these last days and the crazy furnaces that we're seeing all around us. Help us to face it, face it with, tr- with truth, face it with trust, face it with your providence, face it with knowing that you're in control and we can trust your character. No matter what we go through, you'll be with us. And Father, I just pray, Father, if there's anyone here that hasn't placed their faith in the Messiah, they would do so today. That today is a day of salvation. They come to faith in him, that he died on a cross for their sins, was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who would simply believe in him. We pray you would talk to hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen.